We open the sacred scripture this evening to the gospel according to John and turn to chapter 7. John chapter 7, we will read two sections from the chapter. First, verses 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said, These words unto them he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, He is a good man. Others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now, about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Now, what follows is some conflict between those who were gathered there at the feast. Let's pick up the reading at verse 28, and we'll read through verse 39. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, Will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come." And said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this that he said, Ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come? Now the next three verses are the text for the sermon which we will not reread. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for The Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Thus far we read the divinely inspired sacred 
Scripture. As announced, the text is verses 37 through 39. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus makes the promise of the text at the Feast of Tabernacles. We read in verse 37, in that last day, that great day of the feast. That feast is identified back in verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Every year the Jews would go up to the temple in Jerusalem in order to celebrate three significant feasts. And the last of those feasts was the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Ingathering. And when the Jews went up to Jerusalem, with great joy in their hearts, they would make two fundamental confessions. Number one, our God is so good. Look at all the bounties. This was the Feast of Ingathering. It was the last feast of the calendar of feasts. And it came at the very end of the harvest so that they had not only gathered in all of the first fruits, but they had gathered in all of the bounties of the earth. And then they went up to the temple to rejoice in the goodness of God to them. How good our God is to us. They also confessed, God has always been good to us and to our fathers. The most distinctive characteristic of this feast is noted by its name, the Feast of booths or tabernacles. For the Israelites would take tree branches and sticks and they would make these little temporary huts. And for the full week, the duration of the feast, they wouldn't live in their homes, but they would go and live in these little huts that they had built near their homes or in the city of Jerusalem. And while they did that, they would commemorate their father's way back in the wilderness where they had no home and no abiding place, and how God cared for them. He provided all of their needs. For example, what would they drink? They were in a waste-howling wilderness. There was no sea, no lake, no river, no stream. There was not even a drop of water. And yet, the great God of goodness would cause the rock to open up and waters to gush forth out of the rock to supply the thirst of the fathers in the wilderness. And in one way after another, day after day, year after year, God provided for the fathers. For a whole week, the Israelites would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. God is good to us. God has always been good to us. And so they brought their offerings and their worship to the temple in Jerusalem. Well, here we are in John chapter 7, and now it's the Feast of Tabernacles. And at this celebration of the feast, something happens that had never happened before. Something extraordinary happened. A man stood up, right in the midst of all of the people, a man stood up and started crying. It was the climax, the very last day of the feast, verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast. It was not only the last day of this feast, this feast being the last of all of the feasts in the calendar, it was the last day of all of the feasts in the year. This was the climax of all of the feasts. And on that last great day, when as never before, all of the hearts of the worshipers were to be lifted up to the great God of goodness in heaven, a man stood up and drew all the attention to himself and said, Me, if any man thirst, Let him come unto me and drink of me. And whosoever believeth in me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. 
Isn't he lovely? The Christ, the Son of God, the Christ of the feast, the Christ of the Old Testament, the Christ of all the typology, the one to whom everything of old was pointing, the Christ of the gospel, the Christ of salvation. God's Christ stood up at the feast and made the promise of the text. Rivers of living water from the belly. Do you have rivers flowing out of your belly? I have a belly, and you have a belly. Do you have rivers of living water flowing out of your belly? Let's hear the Word of God. We take as our theme tonight, rivers flowing from the belly. First of all, the peculiar promise. Second, a stirring call. And third, a wonderful fulfillment. When Jesus promises in the text, rivers of living water flowing from the belly, and that's the main word of the text, the promise of verse 38 And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus is promising the Spirit. And that's the teaching of the very next verse when the inspired writer writes in this parenthetical statement, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is promising the Spirit. The Feast of Tabernacles is not realized in grains and the bounties of the earth, but in the Spirit. And at this point in history, according to verse 39, the Spirit was not yet. The text says given, but that's italicized very literally. The Holy Ghost was not yet. When the text states that, it is not referring to the existence of the Spirit. The Spirit has always been in existence. He's the eternal Spirit with the Father and the Son. He never comes into existence because He's always in existence. When the text says that the Holy Spirit was not yet, neither is the text referring to the operations of the Spirit. The Spirit has always been operating eternally in the Godhead, but even in history and time at the very beginning, Genesis 1 verse 2, was the Spirit who was moving, brooding upon the face of the waters of the deep. And all throughout the old dispensation, the Spirit is the author of faith. He's always been operating. When the text says that the Holy Ghost was not yet It's not referring to his existence. It's not referring to his operations. But the text is referring to a particular dispensation of the Spirit. And the meaning is that the Spirit had not yet come as the Spirit of the glorified Christ. That's the teaching of the text in verse 39 when it states... For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, and then this phrase of explanation, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Even as we can say, back in the old dispensation, Christ was not yet. Because the Son of God had not yet come and become incarnate of the Virgin Mary. We can also say, back in the old dispensation, the Holy Ghost was not yet, because the Holy Ghost had not yet come as the Spirit of the glorified Christ. Christ was not yet glorified when He stood up at that feast. He was still, what we say in catechism class, He was still in that state of humiliation, 
in poverty, in suffering. He was being hated and opposed and maligned. And he was the sin bearer, bearing the sins of his people. He must yet still accomplish the work of redemption to be able to deliver us from the spiritual house of the bondage in Egypt. So he suffers, and he keeps suffering after the feast. And he suffers all the way to that accursed cross where he dies in agony and suffering and humiliation. And into the grave he goes. And then, God glorifies him. God raises him from the dead. God exalts him on high in heaven. And then God rewards him for all of his work and gives to him the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of Christ. And then Christ will pour out that Spirit upon the church so that the Spirit is as the Spirit of the glorified Christ. In this text, Jesus is promising the Spirit, the Spirit as His Spirit. And what a gracious promise it is, because no one will perform a single work to attain and receive this Spirit. He's freely given and freely received by faith. So that verse 39 says, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. To have the Spirit is really to have everything. In God's covenant, it's to have God as your God and all the fullness of the goodness of God. The Spirit. Jesus is promising the Spirit who's received by faith. Now, in the text, Jesus promises that when believers receive the Holy Spirit, then out of their bellies will flow rivers of living water. Verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. Living water in the text is a figurative description of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not like death. The Holy Spirit is life. But the Holy Spirit is like waters of life and not murky or stagnant waters, but the sparkling waters of life. Now you can have some very pure, sparkling perishable water from some mountain spring. You can drink that all the days of your life and die and go to hell. The Spirit is the water of life, everlasting life. But now the text speaks of the Spirit as the water of life using the illustration of a river. And not a river, but rivers, plural, rivers. So that the Holy Spirit is not like a little drop of water or just a little trickle of water. I suppose it could be said that back in the old dispensation, the Spirit was operating as a little trickle of water, but Jesus is promising that the Spirit will come and be as rivers, many mighty rivers of living water, refreshing, satisfying water. Now, what's peculiar about this promise is that Jesus promises that the Spirit, as rivers of living water, will come out of the believer. Verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That the Spirit flows is not peculiar or surprising. The Spirit flows. In theology, we use the term procession. The Spirit proceeds. Eternally, in the triune Godhead, the Spirit as the Lord and giver of life, we confess in the Nicene Creed, He proceeds from the Father to the Son. He proceeds, He flows from the Son to the Father. That's the life 
of the Godhead, but then also outside of God, the Holy Spirit. He's given to Jesus Christ in heaven. And on Pentecost, Jesus pours out His Spirit upon the church so that the Holy Spirit comes flowing from heaven to the church on earth. This then is what we expect Jesus to promise in the text. Whosoever believeth on Me, out of heaven shall come flowing the Holy Spirit as rivers of living water unto you. Unto you. Like the waters of old were flowing out of the rock at Meribah. Unto the Israelites, the Holy Spirit will come flowing unto you. But that's not what Jesus says. He says the Holy Spirit will flow out of you. Rivers of living water will flow out of you. Jesus is promising that when we receive the Holy Spirit by faith, the Holy Spirit will flow through us like a channel and then back out of us so that refreshing living waters will come flowing for others and their refreshment. So then what comes out of you when the Spirit as rivers of living water flows out of you? It's Christ, the testimony, the Word of Christ. For the Spirit always works with the Word of Christ. And the Spirit comes from the glorified Christ in heaven and flows through us. So that when rivers flow out of your belly, it's the Word of Christ the testimony of Christ, the gospel of Christ. It's Paul and Silas in prison in Philippi at midnight and they start singing, testifying of the name of Jesus Christ in their prison. Out of them, now flowing a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ for the refreshment of any others who will hear rivers of living water out of The believer, equally surprising in this peculiar promise of the Lord, is the truth that rivers will flow out of the believer's belly. Not off his tongue, not out of his heart, from his belly. That's verse 38. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Belly does not refer to the place of food digestion, nor does it refer to the womb as the place where life begins. But for the Jew, the Hebrew, those of Jesus' day who read and were well acquainted with the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures, belly signified the seat, the place of feeling, intense feeling. So that, for example... The prophet says in Habakkuk 3 verse 16 that in the day of trouble, it wasn't his heart, it wasn't his soul, but my belly trembled. Habakkuk, he could feel that trouble in his belly. Now that's not so strange to us because we will speak of having a gut feeling Or you might talk to someone who says, I was so nervous. I had to stand up in front of everyone. Or I had to to play at my recital. I was so nervous. I felt sick to my stomach. I could feel it in my stomach. The belly, the place of intense feeling. The Holy Ghost through the gospel of Christ, will come flowing to the believer and then out of the believer, but not in a mechanical way, not as if the believer is nothing merely but a plastic or a copper pipe, the Spirit in and through and out, but the Spirit will come flowing out of the belly, which indicates that when the Spirit as rivers of living water flows out of the believer as he makes a testimony of Christ, he does it with feeling, with passion and enthusiasm and conviction and love and genuine, deep religious feeling. Paul and Silas in prison 
were singing of the Lord Jesus Christ at midnight. And that came out of their belly, enthusiastic exclamations of the glory of Christ. According to the text, the Spirit, rivers of living water out of the belly. As the Scripture has said, verse 38 Nowhere does the Old Testament Scripture contain this promise explicitly written, but there are a number of passages to which we could turn. I call your attention only to one of them, Zechariah 14, verse 8, which states, And it shall come to pass in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem. So we read that Old Testament passage, and now what might be hidden in there is brought out in this text by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only will living waters one day come out of Jerusalem, that is, come out of the church through the proclamation of the gospel, but within Jerusalem, individual believers. And out of the belly of the believer will flow rivers of living water, as, says Jesus, the Old Testament Scripture has said. What a peculiar promise. And really, how can it be? The Spirit, He flows from God. The Spirit flowing out of me and out of you, mere men, and of ourselves, really nothing but a collection of dry bones. Amazing. The Spirit proceeding from the believer. A peculiar promise, a stirring call. The believer must be connected to, and he must draw out of the fountain of living waters, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And because that's true, Jesus issues the stirring call of the text. Verse 37, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The thirsty partake of Christ the fountain by faith. The thirsty Jesus speaks of them when he says in verse 30, if 37, if any man thirst, is there any pain to the human being that can be as tormenting and all-consuming as thirst? You know, you, you can take a whole bunch of teenagers to the greatest amusement park in the whole world, and if they're thirsty... None of the thrills, none of the amusement matters to them. All they want is what they need. And what they need is a drink, water. It's all-consuming thirst. And in the text here, Jesus is not referring to the physical thirst of the body thirst for water, for then he would have directed those at the feast down to the pool of Siloam. But he directs them to himself as the Savior, because when he speaks of thirst, he's referring to spiritual thirst. To be thirsty is to crave the refreshment and satisfaction of pardon, God's pardon, when your conscience is troubled because of your sin. Maybe you wake up in the morning and you're troubled because last night you were with a bunch of others and you behaved yourself unseemly or you reacted to something in in anger, almost a fit of rage. And it, it felt so good at the time and you go to bed and you wake up in the morning And your conscience is so tormented. And you feel the displeasure of God. And you you cry out after and desire and seek as a thirsty sinner ah, the refreshment of the pardon of God. Thirsting. 
To be thirsty is to crave the satisfaction of knowing that God is your God and to know the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel, especially after you've been thirsting after those things that don't satisfy your thirst. You've been thirsting after money and more possessions or popularity and just more affirmation from more people that more people would like me. Or you've been lusting after a woman. Or you've been so intrigued by and searching after some new doctrine, some new philosophy. You just have to have some man, some woman in your life. And yet, there really is no deep inner satisfaction The believer thirsts after Christ who is truly refreshing and satisfying. To be thirsty is to be thirsty for Christ. And that's a blessing. That's a good thing. Because by nature, we hate Christ. And we despise Christ. And we would actually crucify Christ. But it's a wonder of grace. It's a great miracle of salvation that God comes to the sinner like you and me and he so touches us with the feeling of our extreme poverty as sinners and gives us the knowledge that we have nothing and we are nothing in ourselves so that we thirst after Christ. The deepest cravings and longings of the human heart come out of the believing sinner who knows his need for grace, who pines in the misery of his own sinfulness and longs for the refreshment of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Thirst. If any man thirsts, The thirsty partake of Christ the fountain by faith. Christ the fountain. All the living waters of salvation are contained in Jesus Christ the fountain because He's the one who came into that state of humiliation in order to take our sin, the guilt of our sin, the punishment, the penalty, the curse, the death of our sin. And he bore the full wrath of God. And remember he cried out from that accursed tree, I thirst in inexpressible agony under the wrath of God as the sin bearer. Christ cried out, I thirst. And there he made the atonement. But not only that, Christ was glorified. He was raised with a new life and new righteousness for us, His people. And into heaven He went and He received the Holy Spirit. And when the man, Jesus Christ, received the third person of the Trinity at God's right hand, Christ Christ then was the inexhaustible fountain of all. All the blessings of salvation with that Holy Spirit, all knowledge, all confidence, all assurance, all holiness, all comfort, all peace, all joy, everything is in Christ. All satisfaction, all refreshment is in that glorified Christ who received God's Spirit. He's the fountain. The one and the only fountain. And that's why he stood up at the feast among all the people and he drew drew all attention to himself. Verse 37, saying as it were, everything else in the world and everyone else in the world is but a broken cistern that will never satisfy me. Come to me. Drink of me. Believe on me. Where Ever the gospel goes in all the world, the gospel sets forth the Lord Jesus Christ as the one and only fountain of the living waters of salvation. The thirsty partake of Christ the fountain by faith. Jesus says in verse 37, If any man thirst, let him come 
unto me and drink. And then he goes on to say in verse 38, Not this, he that cometh to me and drinketh of me, and so on. But he uses a different verb explaining what he meant earlier by coming and drinking. He says, He that believeth on me. To come and to drink is to believe. The believer is united to Jesus Christ, the fountain of living water, by the pipeline of faith as the Holy Spirit establishes that bond. But the Holy Spirit works within the heart of the believing sinner so that he consciously believes. And in believing, he comes to Jesus and he drinks of Jesus and receives and receives refreshing satisfaction in his soul. The thirsty partake of Christ the fountain by faith. And because he is the one and only fountain of living water, Jesus issues the stirring call of the text. He stood up, he cried, saying, verse 37, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me. And then what follows? That's not a well-meant offer of our Lord. He didn't stand up at the feast and survey all those who came with an everlasting love for all of them and a sincere desire to save all of them and now freely offering himself to all of them, even the reprobate that they might supposedly of their own then free will accept him. This is no well-meant offer. This is the authoritative call, command of the gospel. Come, drink the serious call that must go out from every pulpit and on every mission field. Wherever the gospel goes, it always holds forth the Lord Jesus Christ as the one and only living fountain of water. And accompanying that presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the authoritative call. Come to Him. Drink of Him. Believe on Him. And the Holy Spirit makes that call effectual in the heart of the elect. One of the great wonders and mysteries of salvation occurs in that God sovereignly lays a hold of the poor sinner and God draws the sinner to Himself. Jesus Christ the Lord, He draws the sinner to Himself. But the Lord Jesus doesn't do that in a way that violates the rational, moral nature of the sinner. Not like a farmer out in the field with his tractor, and he hooks it up with a chain, and he ties it to a big tree trunk, a stump, a log, and he he draws that log along. God, Jesus, doesn't draw us as a stock or a block, When the call goes out, come, drink, believe, the Holy Spirit works through that call by taking that call and bringing it right into the heart of the elect sinner and so moving the heart of the sinner that the sinner consciously comes, consciously drinks, consciously believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the fruit of God's drawing. That's how God draws, working in the heart so that the sinner consciously comes and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and receives and enjoys and tastes that refreshing satisfaction of the water of life in the Lord Jesus Come, drink. To all the thirsty, he issues the call. 
If any man thirst, some may be Jews, some may be Gentiles, some may be rich, some may be poor. Some may have fathers and grandparents in the historical line of the covenant. They've been taught the faith of the fathers from their youth. Some, perhaps some, came to the temple for the very first time, beheld and heard the word of the Lord Jesus for the very first time. Doesn't matter. No exceptions. If any man thirst, let him come. Drink. No thirsty sinner is excluded. No thirsty sinner may exclude himself. Then or now, no one tonight who thirsts for the Lord Jesus, that's a miracle you understand, that you thirst for the Lord Jesus. No one who thirsts as a poor sinner for the Lord Jesus may say, I'm not worthy. I may not come. What you're not worthy. That's true, you're not worthy. But this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, you are not worthy. But He died for you and obtained the Spirit for you Beloved, in the Lord Jesus, if any man thirst, let him come and drink. What a stirring call of the Lord Jesus. For the text says in verse 37 that he stood and cried. Can't you hear him at the feast? Now he's finished his formal instruction. Now he cries. He lifts up his voice. The volume, the pitch intensifies. He cries. It's spirited. He has a belly. He has love, everlasting love for his own. And with enthusiasm and with conviction, he starts crying in the temple. If any man thirst. Let him come unto me and drink. And beloved in the Lord Jesus, all the theology of the call notwithstanding, don't you hear his love in that call? The love of the Savior who beholds his elect people for whom he dies, pining and thirsting in the misery of our sin and sinfulness. He lays his eyes upon us and it's in love that he issues his sovereign, effectual, irresistible call. If any man thirst, let him come and let him drink. And woe be unto that man who refuses. That man in the temple who has the rivers of living water running right past his feet, but he disdains the Lord Jesus and he will not drink. He will not come. Woe be unto him, any man, any woman who rejects the Lord Jesus. And don't you blame him. The fault is in the heart of the stubborn, rebellious sinner. All for whom Jesus died, all whom the Father gave to Him, Jesus will draw to Himself. And He does. And you and me, through His sovereign, irresistible call, come and drink. A stirring call. And then attached to it, this peculiar promise, not simply that there's refreshment and satisfaction, but rivers of living water will flow out of your belly. What a wonderful fulfillment in conclusion tonight. A wonderful fulfillment of this promise. It occurred at Pentecost. Not only the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles is realized at Pentecost when Jesus Christ poured out in rich abundance His Holy Spirit upon the church. Now we know Pentecost and the history of it, but just stand back and just look at Pentecost 
And everything that unfolds in the book of Acts, it's amazing. Wherever the gospel goes after Pentecost, out of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, Asia Minor, what we now know as Europe, all in the Mediterranean world, wherever the gospel goes, there's the fountain of living water. And through the sovereign drawing, the believers come. Those in whom the Spirit works, they come and they drink of the Lord Jesus. They receive Him. They receive the Spirit. And through them and out of them, the Spirit then flows as rivers of living water so that with conviction and enthusiasm, they testify of Christ. So the Gospel goes down to the river in Philippi where Lydia and the women are. And Lydia believes according to God's sovereign grace. And out of Lydia's belly now flows the Spirit as rivers of living water so that others around her hear of her conviction, her passion, as she testifies the Lord Jesus to the refreshing of others. And so you have the Mediterranean world. And then after Pentecost, all these rivers, all these rivers flowing now through the world, the Spirit flowing out of the belly. What a wonderful fulfillment and wonderful in you and me tonight. What's flowing out of your belly? There may be professing Christians who have just a little trickle. It's hard to discern if he or she actually is a Christian. Let that not be said of you that the faintest little trickle flows out of you. Or even worse, that rivers of foul water come flowing out of a professing Christian. If there are no rivers flowing out of your belly, then, then there's a problem. And every minister needs to examine himself and ask, Am I setting forth the Lord Jesus Christ as the fountain of living waters? Or have these people nothing to drink? Then you, do you believe? Don't ignore Christ. Don't come to church and sleep on Christ. Don't spit at Christ. Don't criticize Christ in the mouthpiece of Christ. Drink. Drink. And God sees to it that we do. And out of our belly flows the rivers of living water. Isn't that wonderful for missions? For church evangelism? For personal witnessing? You drink of the gospel? And then you go, the young people go to the college campus. You go to work. You go to your place, your station in life among the ungodly. And with enthusiasm and conviction for the Lord Jesus, you testify of his name. That's the rivers of living water coming out of your belly. Now maybe there's a believer on the college campus. You think you're the only one. I'm the only Christian on campus. That's, no, no, no. Maybe there's another believer. And you're timid. And you don't dare But drinking of Christ, you make a testimony of Christ, and he hears it, she hears it, and says, now that was refreshing. The rivers of living water, I heard it, I tasted it, coming out of your belly. What a wonderful thing for witnessing. But what a wonderful fulfillment then in the congregation in the wilderness of this world. For out of some bellies flow the foul streams of heresies and false doctrines and the distortion of Scripture and the twisting of the creeds. That dries up souls. When the believer drinks of Christ, then out of his belly flows the rivers of sound doctrine, the holy gospel, the faith of our fathers, And that's satisfying and refreshing to others. When the young person goes into the consistory room and makes a confession of faith, and it comes, use the language of the text, out of the belly, and the elders say, listen to that. That was so refreshing, like waters of life. Out of some bellies flow the foul streams of murmurings, and disputings, strife, and and biting and devouring, or griping and complaining, and 
And a man who has nothing good to say is always criticizing, my job's not good enough and I should be earning a far higher wage. I work so much harder than he does. The school isn't good enough. The church isn't good enough. The minister is not good enough. Nobody's good enough for anything. Always griping, always complaining. That doesn't refresh anyone. When the believer drinks of Christ, out of his belly will flow the waters of the loveliness of Jesus Christ in those things that the apostle says are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Now that is refreshing. Out of some bellies flow the foul streams of expressions of unbelief and constant negativity and doom and gloom and fear. When the believer drinks of Christ, out of his belly flow words of, of confident expressions of faith in God who dwells in the midst of Jerusalem, the streams whereof make glad. And that's refreshing. Out of some bellies flow the foul streams of frivolity and folly and carelessness and even the dirty sewer songs of the world. When the believer drinks of Christ, out of his belly flows the wisdom of Christ, condemnation of what is unholy, the lovely songs of Zion, the Spirit refreshing as water. It won't be very long, and out of a belly will come the worst of all blasphemy ever uttered under the heavens. The man of sin has a belly, the Antichrist, and when he stands up in the temple and tries to draw all attention to himself, the Antichrist, and says, Me, come to me, and learn of me, and receive me, and bow down before me in worship, I will cast you into a fiery furnace. Out of his belly will flow the polluted, foul streams of blasphemy in the last day. But just wait. Because all those who drink of the Lord Jesus and receive the knowledge of him out of their belly in that dark, dark day will come these enthusiastic, impassioned cries and testimonies of the Lord Jesus. No, we will not bow down. And Jesus Christ is the Lord. He lives and reigns forever. And that will be like a river in that dark day. And it will be refreshing. And it will give strength and boldness to others. That's the Spirit. As rivers of living water. Behold, your great God the God of the Christ, the God of the Spirit, the God who gives us the Spirit, the Spirit who then flows out of us with the testimony that goes right back to God for His praise. Who is so great a God of salvation as our God of Him, through Him, and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, now draw us to thyself in love and cause us to drink and to be satisfied in Christ, the living water. We and our children in thy covenant. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.